I'm Julian Dobbs, and welcome to this returning episode of Living Through the Word, the official podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. I'm so pleased that you have joined us today. This past October, the clergy of the diocese gathered in the hill country of Texas for our annual clergy retreat. There, we were greatly refreshed by our time together, and one of our keynote speakers was the Reverend David Pelegi. David lives in Jerusalem with his wife, Carol. He is the rector of Christchurch in the Old City, and he's lived there for 43 years. Reverend Pelegi shared with us uh, in Texas about the Jewish experience in Poland under the Nazi regime a topic I personally learned a great deal about this past summer when I joined him on a tour that David led through Poland. Besides being a close personal friend, David has been a font of wisdom, advising me countless times on matters involving the Middle East and Israel and the church. The world was shocked just two days after the conclusion of our retreat on October 7 as Israel entered a state of war following the vicious and cowardly attack on innocent Israeli citizens by the terror group Hamas. On this return episode of Living Through the Word, I wanted to take a moment to reconnect with David from Jerusalem and listen to his experiences over the past month, what message he has for us as he has returned to Israel to pastor in what is now a theater of war. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Julian, thank you again for uh, uh, honoring us and uh, allowing us to uh, give voice to uh, some of the things that are, are happening here uh, in, in Israel and around the Middle East. David, you were with us in, um, in Texas. October the 7th happened. You were still in the United States. How did you get home? Well, it was, it was quite uh, quite miraculous. Uh, I we simply uh, called up uh, the only airline flying to Israel, El Al. Uh, they had no seats, uh, but uh, somewhere somehow there was cancellation, and uh, they gave me the only the the only seat of an airplane going out uh, that day. So I, I arrived. Uh, Back in Israel, on the thirteenth, the the plane journey home uh, was uh, was quite sad, and that um, it, the plane was uh, full of young Israelis, and uh, they were uh, going home to um, report to their uh, military, uh, to, to report to their reserve units. Uh, others probably were um, taking a break from active duty, and I'm. Remember, I'll, I'll never forget, I said, across the aisle from a uh, young man whose brother had uh, been killed on, this, uh, on, mm. on October the 7th, and uh, his body had just been discovered, and he was uh, going back uh, for the funeral. And I remember just walking around, hearing everybody talk, and uh, the, the conversation was uh, still, it was a kind of a, a tone of shock in a conversation, but uh, 
the main subject of the conversation was where where are your kids serving uh or where are you um once you land where where will your unit be what is your job in the army uh etc cetera, etc cetera. right so the the country mobilized uh, 300,000 uh, reservist, but uh, actually many more showed up who weren't even called. Mm. Uh, and uh, there was, of course, a huge shortage of equipment uh, for all of these uh, hundreds of thousands of extra men now serving uh, in the military at this moment. David, take me back. I want to come back to some of that, but take me back to when you're still stateside. Uh-huh. How did you How did you hear... Um, Tell me your thoughts. How did you hear about the October 7 attacks? Uh, my son called me. Uh, I was in Missouri. He called me um, uh, very early, uh, U.S. time on Saturday morning. And he, I said, hi, what, you know, wow, what's up? What, what are you calling me so early? He said, have you, uh, uh, are you aware of what's happening in Israel? I said, no, I of course not. He said, um, well, you know, uh, Hamas has jumped the fence and uh, they're attacking the villages uh, around uh, the, called the Gaza envelope. And uh, it's a massacre. And well, and of course, I said, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe, I could believe it. I could believe sure. that yeah. because I, I always thought, you know, you could always rush tens of thousands of people to the fence, overwhelmed the fence. And yeah. uh, what uh, became clear during the day is, or, and what, what was difficult to fathom is uh, why there, there was such a thin or minimal uh, army presence mm-hmm. yeah, on, on the border. We, of course, we know why now, but uh, at the moment, uh, we didn't. And uh, as the day went on, it, it uh, became clear that this wasn't just a military attack that this was uh, a genocide. Mm. And, um, the Israelis were being uh, slaughtered. Uh, many were being burnt alive in their houses. Uh, the Thai workers who work on many of these farms were also being killed. Uh, Arab Bedouins who worked for, uh, also worked for Jewish farmers or worked as, I don't know, bus drivers sometimes, security guards uh, in these Israeli villages uh, were also uh, being uh, murdered uh, by these Hamas terrorists. Uh, so it was something uh, unspeakable. And to this day, I, I cannot uh, read or hear the testimonies of uh, uh, of the survivors, um, hmm. what, uh, what happened to them or what happened to their families or even... Uh, uh, I have a hard time even looking at the looking at the pictures. Uh, it, it's just it's unbelievable, uh, a- absolutely unbelievable. I'm speaking to my close friend David Pelegi, the rector of Christchurch, Jerusalem. Um, David, I had the privilege of journeying through Poland with you over the summer on your narrow bridge tour for about two and a half weeks. Um, uh, it was it was probably two and a half weeks um, that have become some of the most significant weeks of my life, mm-hmm. um, standing in what remains of the Warsaw Ghetto, um, uh, 
been moved beyond being literally able to speak at Treblinka. Um, but David, much of what I learned on that tour, I'm seeing again uh, in these days following October 7, not only in Israel, but around the world. Just speak to me about that and and help me personally come to terms with that. Some of these sites we haven't seen since the Second World War. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, it, it, this is very, very uh, hard to explain, especially as we are still, you might say, historically speaking, uh, in the wake of, uh, of Auschwitz and the Holocaust. Mm. And the question becomes Hamas, were they simply uh, imitating or the Nazis, did they learn this from the Nazis? Or, or is there a trend or, or a stream, you might say, in uh, Islamic uh, history, Islamic thought, Islamic practice? Again, I'm not careful, not accusing all Muslims uh, of thinking in a similar way. Where Where did they draw their inspiration? Where did this incredible hatred uh, uh, come from? And uh, before your listeners uh, fall back on the trope, well, it's all about the occupation. Uh, no, it's not about the occupation. Uh, Hamas doesn't care about the, it doesn't care about liberating Palestine. So there are two states, one for the Jews, one for the Palestinians. Uh, they want to destroy uh, Israel, the, the Jewish state. Uh, and they want uh, an Islamic state, Islamic rule from the river, Jordan River, to uh, to the Mediterranean Sea. So they're not uh, for peace. They're not uh, for negotiation. They uh, represent a form of Islamic um, apocalypticism that uh, sees the, the war against the Jews as leading ultimately leading to some form of uh, Islamic um, Islamic eschatological victory, as in which Sharia will rule, uh, which will rule the the entire the entire world. And you know, and at the heart of all this, uh, Bishop Julian, is often the following. Now Jesus says to the woman at the well. Salvation is from the Jewish people, right? Paul tells us that final and full redemption is bound up uh, somehow, yes, uh, in the the future of the, the Jewish people, that life from the dead, yes, will not come to the church and, and the world uh, until, right, there, there is this Jewish uh, reconciliation, you might say. Uh, rediscovery uh, you know, of the of the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and you have these groups, the Nazis, uh, these Islamic groups, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and sometimes even in the past, some form of uh, Christian, uh, sick Christian apocalypticism, right? That for the world to somehow enter some uh, golden age or some paradise or some millennium, right? It, it, you have to get rid of the Jews, right? The Jews have to be destroyed, or the Jews have to to have to be wiped out, right? It's inherent in Islamic 
this kind of Islamic eschatology or Islamic apocalypticism. It was inherent in Hitler's sort of demonic, very secular, um, you know, apocalyptic vision of the world. The world will enter the golden age, right, soon as we eliminate the Jews. Uh, it was in some, many of the Christian uh, medieval Christian understanding, right? Jews were Jews were being burnt in their synagogues because somehow the Messiah couldn't come until the couldn't return to the Holy Land until uh, some Jews were were dealt with. And isn't it ironic and even heartbreaking uh, to think about it that Christian mobs, right, in places like Germany were burning Jews alive in their synagogues. You were with me in Poland. And for example, we went to the great synagogue in Bialystok where Jews were herded into the synagogue. And then that synagogue was set on fire while the German soldiers uh, stood around and prevented anyone from leaving. And now Jews are being you know, burnt alive uh, in their homes, right, in places uh, and, and communities, you know, near near the, the Gaza Strip. Um, so it's the same sick, murderous spirit, right, that wants to frustrate and derail, yes, uh, you know, you might say God's uh, purposes, not just for the Jewish people, but for the, for the world itself. And I think that's how we have to understand uh, this a demon, you might say, of, of anti-Semitism. Um, if, if the Jewish people don't exist, God is a liar. And if Jewish people don't exist, I would say that future, the, the, the promise of future redemption, according to what's laid out for us in Scripture, okay, uh, is also uh, something that can be that, that can be called into question. And they, the intention or the heart of this may be demonic, but the devils had no problem, yes, co-opting human beings throughout the ages uh, to cooperate. And you may be left-wing, you may be right-wing, you may be socialist, you may be capitalist, you may, you know, be uh, hip and educated, or you may be uneducated, but anti-Semitism flourishes. Yes, at all times, can flourish at all times and in all places. And uh, it is like a chameleon, right? Uh, it can be easily adopted, uh, whether it's the Christians, the Muslims, the Republicans, the Democrats. Uh, it, is the, it is the most inexplicable, yes, uh, most un inexplic inexplic inexplicable thing. And I don't think researchers and sociologists and anthropologists can fully, fully explain it, at least in my opinion, unless we look at its look at that spiritual element. And oftentimes our secular academics uh, don't uh, understand that dimension. David, that um, that is very deep and um, very helpful. I'm going to encourage listeners just to go back to the beginning of uh, what David just said and listen to it all over again to to take on the weight of the spiritual nature of the situation. David, I stood with you uh, in my Janik just out of Lublin 
where there is, as some uh, listeners will know, where there is the the uh, um, heaped remains of uh, cremated Jewish men and women and children. And over those remains, there is a sign, which if I recall correctly, it's not in English, but it says something like this, let our fate be mm -hmm. a warning to you. That's However, um, uh, the fact is we say, we often say when we think of the Holocaust, this will never happen again. But in fact, David, it's never stopped. And not just such atrocities with Jewish people, but others as well. Is there, can you just, can you, you're an American. Can, mm -hmm. can you just come to America for a moment in your mind? Is there anything about what you see happening in response to this conflict on some of our college campuses that concerns you? Help me understand that. Well, I, I can let, let me I'll come to the college campuses yeah. in a moment. I, I only uh, like to say uh, in uh, regards to to my uh, beloved country that um, I believe that the United States, uh, due to its uh, influence uh, and uh, economic power in this world, uh, military strength, that we have and should have, should always have a special duty to stop genocide or to do what we can to prevent genocide uh, anywhere it may, uh, in any place, at any time uh, when it may break out. And uh, I again, this m murder is the you might say the the second sin after after Adam and Eve. Maybe it's the third sin because the second sin is. Eve eats the apple. Adam allows her to uh, to sin. Then uh, Adam and Eve have a domestic squabble. Uh, but the next chapter, right? You have murder, right? Murder, perhaps out of jealousy, or well, that's what it seems to be. Uh, but since that moment onward, right? Human beings have been killers, and we so ease we can so easily kill, not just one or two, but one group uh, throughout history has uh, is, is taken upon itself to, to try to wipe out or to destroy or to eliminate uh, uh, another group, another religion, another pol uh, political persuasion. And literally since, the, since 1900, tens and millions of people right, have uh, met their end in uh, one form of genocide or another. If we want to think biblically, uh, if we want to preserve uh, human life or value human life, think that there's not only a fight against abortion, for example, which I think is very essential, but we also have to be equally concerned uh, with genocide. And it can be the tendency in our country, the United States, I don't want to get involved. We shouldn't be the policemen of the world. And it's true, hmm. we can't go around the world and fix everybody's problems. But we can make it clear, right, whether it's in Rwanda or Darfur or other places where we can at least intervene, stop mass murder, that uh, this is something that we, uh, first as a church, should be uh, very, very concerned with. And secondly, uh, we ought to... Um, want our nation to the United States to be committed to it, uh, to be committed to it as well, and not to shrink back, because God's given us, we, again, we have military strength, we have wealth, 
we need to use it wisely and hopefully for, for the good. Uh, second point, and then I come to the college campus. Yep. Sometimes, sometimes you can see a genocide coming. It happens, especially when leaders start to demonize, for example, uh, a minority or to demonize another group as Jews are being re-demonized today by uh, the president, by the by Iranian officials. And by the by the way, Iran threatens Israel with genocide. And that is a crime against international law. And why no one, no country or no international institution, including the International Criminal Court, has the the guts right to charge the Iranian leadership right with uh, with attempted genocide or promoting genocide is certainly uh, is certainly beyond me. But genocide oftentimes can be predicted. You can see it coming. You can see it coming down the road. You can there virtually will never be a genocide. Uh, one group uh, killing another uh, until the group that's going to be murdered has been dehumanized. Uh, in Rwanda, I called cockroaches. In the case of Nazi Germany, uh, Jews are called an epidemic, a cancer, and they're called a sickness. And uh, you hear this year after year after year. And of course, this propaganda sinks in. And Jews have been dehumanized, or um, uh, African uh, uh, black Muslim um, oh, herdsmen in Sudan. They right, they become dehumanized. The the enemies of the Communist Party and uh, Cambodia, you know, the middle classes become uh, they become leeches and you know saboteurs, et cetera, et cetera. And then once people are dehumanized, it's very easy to kill us to to begin mass murder because they're no longer human. And the fact of the fact that we have this kind of mentality of hate uh, and the manifestation of this old, ancient, sick, uh, murderous spirit in the United States, um, and if it was um, only against Jews, it would be. It would be horrible enough, but it seems to even be bigger than that. It's very frightening. And I've told Americans uh, in the past, or in the recent past, when they asked me, what about the future of Israel? I said, I would be, I would be quite concerned about the future of the United States. Because even if we're talking about a, a small minority of twisted and misguided college students, many of these twisted, misguided college students going to elite universities are going to eventually come into places of power in government or the media or industry. And uh, their influence, you know, is certainly not, uh, is certainly not going to be uh, very, very, very helpful. So I think, again, even if it's small, the pockets, it's happening in places uh, where it, it should frighten all of us, uh, this kind of thing. And uh, there really, really needs to be a, a, a very strong crackdown on this, uh, not only by the, the governors of, of this state or that state, but there needs to be, uh, you might say, uh, an outcry 
an outcry. People need to yell and scream at the top of their voice, stop this. Mm. Because mm. by the way, today they're talking about, they're celebrating Jews being killed uh, because Jews are colonialist and they're white and they, they're oppressors. But uh, it won't be long before it's maybe white people or you know police officers or Christians in some cases or those who don't go along with the gay rights agenda, um, you know. So I think everyone has a vested interest uh, in uh, protecting uh, protecting the Jewish people uh, because there oftentimes it's this phrase is used. Uh, that uh, anti-Semitism is like the canary in the coal mine. It uh, it it doesn't stop with with the Jewish people. It it, mm. it uh, is like a uh, a cancer that grows from there and uh, becomes destructive uh, to the, the the body as a whole. David, thank you. I've got a couple more questions. Um, I want you to take us back to Israel for a moment. Um, tell us about Christchurch. Tell us about your own family and what you can and um, uh, folk involved uh, in this conflict, caught up with it. Um, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody else. Uh, and, and tell us about pastoring uh, for the clergy listening, pastoring in the midst of this horrific time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I I never went to seminary, you know, properly as you know. I came in through the back door, but I'm not sure that uh, any seminary uh, anywhere in the world prepares uh, uh, clergy for uh, times like this. And uh, every day I get up and I feel like I'm uh, literally walking through a minefield um, culturally and politically. Um, not to mention, you know, the security uh, situation uh, in which we find ourselves, and that that I not only speak for myself, but I speak for the for the other clergy and uh, those who uh, who are on our staff. Uh, it's it's incredibly challenging and incredibly frightening uh, on many levels. Uh, you you want to do the right thing and try to minister to people. Uh, minister to people the right way. Some some folks are really frightened. Um, some folks tend to be exhilarated and think that uh, you know the right is going to conquer what is wrong. And somehow you know this is you can see it's a, it's a little bit exciting to people. Uh, and of course there are folks like that. We just have to say, look, we we need to be on our knees and weeping. Uh, there needs mm. no triumphalism here or, you know, flag waving, uh, whatever that may be. And, of course, to those who are afraid or uncertain, yes, again, praying for them and encouraging them. And then some folks, some of us just can become fatalistic, you know, you know, whatever. It's a little bit like, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. I'm, I'm just, you know. Uh, just a little piece of dandruff floating around in this universe, and I don't have any way of influence or stopping these things. And just again, reassure people: wait a minute, there is the power of prayer. And even when it seems God doesn't answer today, He might be answering tomorrow. And we need to, um, you know, not lose uh, that confidence and uh, in intercession. 
intercessory prayer. And we have 30, at least at last count or so, members uh, connected to our, very uh, closely connected to our community who, who are serving uh, in different places. Um, we have three, is it, yeah, at least three, uh, maybe four of the 30 uh, are connected to uh, ACNA clergy. And uh, they're in uh, sons of ACNA clergy, very, very uh, dangerous places uh, as we speak. And uh, I hope we can pray for them. Others, we have others, uh, congregation members and et cetera. They're in the reserves. And many of them are just waiting on the northern border uh, with Lebanon and Syria, waiting for something to happen. Hopefully it won't happen. Uh, others uh, are stationed, you know, in in different parts, different parts of the country. We we have some precious, wonderful Palestinian staff, and uh, sadly, um, their life is also very difficult. Uh, many of our some of our staff that come from Bethlehem and work on the West Bank are in a curfew; uh, they can't come to work. These are folks who live in paycheck to paycheck. And can they still get through from Bethlehem, David? No, not at the moment. And they are suffering unless you are an Israeli. You can be an Arab with Israeli citizenship and you can get through. You're a West Bank Arab. You cannot. But these people live from paycheck to paycheck. And life is already becoming hard for them. This is the fourth week of the war. Sadly, Julian, we have uh, several staff. Palestinian staff, they own olive groves. Uh, these olive groves are, are close to Jewish settlements. And uh, there are some very radical extremist Jewish settlers, not all of them, but there are some. And they uh, are sort of apocalypticists. They see this war as a war of Gog and Magog. They see this as and this is the opportunity. They're going to expel all the Arabs, you know, and, you know, uh, settle the land and you know hasten the day right make the the end come faster so we sometimes we worry about uh, those staff members we have some folks in gaza uh, uh not long ago we baptized two muslims mm -hmm. uh, from gaza who who were here in jerusalem on, uh, undergoing medical treatment and we know that our arabic broadcast is uh, being was being uh uh, avidly, uh, avidly listened to uh, amongst amongst the people of Gaza, um, and we have lost. By now, we've lost contact with with those folks. So you have people with all kinds of different political needs, and people in uh, literally in life and death situations that you're praying for, calling. We want to we continue Bible studies, and most importantly to us to uh, celebrate the, the Eucharist because in the, in celebrating the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, we are declaring that uh, that death has been defeated, the devil has been vanquished, and that uh, Jesus is the ultimate victor uh, in the midst of all this uh, uh, horrible chaos and uh, destruction that's going on around us. So we have the ministry is very active, and I haven't even touched on the the ministry that we have not only to the poor but to to the bereaved. 
Um, we have a number of, of uh, lawyers who work for us uh, and the legal, legal Aid Center, and these lawyers help uh, Jew, Jewish and Arab poor uh, with either bureaucratic issues or issues like domestic violence, uh, et cetera. And uh, now our lawyers are all working for bereaved, either Arab or Israeli families. Uh, and that, by the way, your, your listeners should know that uh, a number of those who were killed by Hamas on the 7th of October were Arab Bedouins, right? And so um, if they're soldiers, you are to get benefits from the uh, Ministry of Defense. And if you are a civilian and you're the victim of terrorism, you get uh, you start to get benefits from what is the equivalent of Israel's Social Security uh, Administration. Well, the system is so overwhelmed that uh, people aren't getting these benefits or getting help or getting social workers to visit them. So we have our lawyers, two, two, two Arabs and one Jew, uh, and they're, you know, actively just, they have a list of families and they're just, you know, helping them bust through all this red tape, for example, or with feeding the poor, um, giving clothes to, uh, to a lot of these refugees um, who've had to leave their homes, uh, couldn't take much. This includes, by the way, Arab, Arabs and Jews in the north and uh, many Jews uh, here uh, in the south. And uh, the, um, the activities uh, that of our, you might say, our mercy fund, I, I actually can't keep track of them anymore. Um, they're, they've just expanded. And uh, again, like I told you before we started recording, uh, it's it's an incredible challenge, but it's a great opportunity for uh, for our community, as small as it is, to be salt and light in this horrible situation. David, it's been our incredible privilege to have you uh, on this episode today. Uh, we'll pray in a moment. Um, uh, we'll put in the show notes of this podcast uh, a link to uh, Christchurch Jerusalem so that you can uh, know a little bit about who David is and the ministry. And uh, those who are part of the diocese already know that we've been asking for support uh, through uh, CMJ. We'll also update you about how you can give. One of the things that uh, we can all do is pray. So let's just take a moment to pray now and uh, offer our prayers to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would so, in this moment, uh, bring a new um, and deep and um, personal uh, presence of your Spirit to those who are suffering, to hostages who are being held. We pray for their release in the name of Jesus and the restoration of these people to their lives and families. Uh, Lord, it's beyond the comprehension of many of us to understand the immense grief of those who have been caught up innocently uh, in this horrific uh, situation that David has been describing to us. We commend them to you, and we pray, almighty God, that you would so grant them the reassurance of your presence, the confidence that God is the God of all the earth, the God of the Bible. And Lord, uh, I pray for David, for the team at Christ Church, 
for he and his own family, for all of their ministry, that you would keep them in your hands. You are the God who says you watch over our going out and our coming in. And so we rehearse those words of Scripture that give us confidence today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Coming up on uh, uh, our next editions, we're going to be talking to various bishops in the Anglican Church in North America on one of the most uh, significant books I've read in my own spiritual journey. We'll call it the Bishop's Book Club, where we'll take a chapter with a different bishop each time. We'll look at some of the great hymns of the faith, and we'll think about why they were written in the time in which they were written and what message they have for us today. And uh, we'll talk to some of our leaders across the diocese about how they came to faith. David, it's been our privilege to have you. Thank you so much for being with You're us welcome. today. Thank you. Thank you for the time. And if I could just make one simple appeal to everyone, I could just urge folks to uh, intercede, to spend time in their prayer closet, and to ask the Lord to turn what the devil meant for evil into something good for all the peoples, yes, of this country and this region. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this has been Living Through the Word. I commend you now to God and to the word of His grace.